This is Yoga Burnout with Kelly Jean Moore and Ashley Bell, a how-to guide that teases out the trends and pitfalls of the yoga and wellness landscape for students and teachers interested in a meaningful modern practice. Welcome to today's episode, new podcast, Who Dis? Part one. I'm Kelly. I'll be interviewing my good friend and co-host, Ashley Bell. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Kelly. Uh, so this is our inaugural, first, can you say inaugural on a first, is that right? I don't know. That word gives me bad vibes right now. I don't know. <laughs> but sure, you can say it. Just it's a stressful. <laughs> delete. Delete. Okay, moving on. Ah, So, you know, this first episode, these first two episodes, I think we're just going to give everybody out there in, in the world an idea of um, sort of our backstories. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So where are you from? Roanoke, Virginia. It's in the southwestern part of Virginia in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's a little valley with mountains all around it. It's quite lovely. The Noak? The Noak, as we call it. Yeah. The Noak. Right. The Star City. St because of the... There is a giant, the largest, it was for a very long time, the largest upright because somewhere in Arizona, there's like a flat one. Yeah. But the largest upright illuminated man-made star in the country. Correct. Mm -hmm. At the top of Mill Mountain. So Texas can kiss your ass. Yeah. We're not, we're the neon star city, not the lone star state. We're, <laughs> Correct. Not, we're not in conflict there. That's not really a conflict. I was just trying to be funny. Um, when did you come to Charleston? I came to Charleston. Ooh. In the summer, July. Right around the beginning of July of two, no, of 1999. That's, that's a hot minute ago. 20, what year is it? It's 2020. It's already past the summer. So 21 years. I've been here over 21 years. Sheesh. I know. It's funny because I don't think of myself as being much older than 21, but I had lived <laughs> all that many lives and then some, all that many years and then some, and all that many lives and then some before that. Right. Well, we... Well, can you just give us a little bit like of your current, I don't know, I think like I'd say like title role, like work-wise, what, what are you doing right now? Um, talk a little bit about your gig at the college and um, sure. Yeah, even like your home gig too. I mean, I'd say they're all part of your title and role currently. <laughs> it's a role. So I am the... Um, I teach five sections of yoga at the College of Charleston in the, what we call the Peace Program. I've also heard it called the PEAC Program, but I like the Peace Program better. It's P-E-A-C. It's an acronym for Physical Education Activities Course. And it's a very robust um, program of two credit courses that range from uh, sailing to Tai Chi to self-defense to pickleball to the hell's couch to 5k. You don't know what pickleball is? No, it's a whole other podcast. It's a, it's a, it's a racket paddle sport. It's sort of like using like if a, if a, if a ping pong paddle and a tennis racket had a baby uh -huh. and you play it on half of like a tennis court, it's all the rage. Um, especially amongst older people, like older than us, older people, but also the young people, the college, they, they teach full sections of it at the college. Every Is semester. it a Southern thing? No, I don't think it's 
I, I don't think it's regional. The like old British thing? I've never heard of pickleball. I can't say. My incredible boss, Tom Carroll, um, teaches um, teaches it and knows much more about it than I do. Um, ah, it's, it's come it's, around for some pickleball. Come around for some pickleball. I don't know. No, it, it looks like a jam good time, to be honest with you, but I'm always walking past the pickleball to my classroom, so I haven't, I haven't played. It's interesting that they put yoga in with the, the sort of sport physical activity. I mean, I guess it makes sense to be anchored there. Well, like Don Giovanni teaches the, some, some martial arts and there's yeah, also, um, they do some, uh, strength training. They do, I mean, it is a really broad, uh, Santa paddleboard kayaking. It's a really broad, um, program, but the, this, what, what sort of, um, is specifically different about these courses is they're two credit courses. Um, so mo most college courses are about three credits. And then if you have a lab, you know, four credits, this is a two credit class. And the idea is that it is mostly activity based. So we're not approaching, um, there are other classes at the college where you might hit on the topic of yoga in like a world religions class or a, a philosophy class or a psychology class even. Um, but with this program, the, the bulk of what I do is asana based. So I'm, um, our, our grading and assessment in these classes is, um, is around, uh, the physical activity. It's attendance and participation are, are, uh, have to be a huge component of how we assess a grade for the class. So, um, so yeah, you know, I, you know, it's something that my boss and I have talked about and even my students and I sometimes talk about, you know, it's, I, Maybe, as you point out, pickleball has, you know, a thousands of year history spanning multiple continents and has been, you know, that there have been gurus and teachers and, and you know, various uh, conflicting ideologies uh, throughout time that are addressed in a major philosophical concept that is embodied in the physical practice of pickleball that I don't think so. I think that's more right. like a yoga thing. I guess that's yeah. what I was getting at. Is so, that, the, so the goal, I mean, the goal, I mean, modern postural yoga is postural. Yes. Yes. It's funny. So because, it's valid. I just, given our particular take on yoga as yes. a more holistic practice and the yes. view being more holistic than that, then, you know, I'm always like, hmm. Well, I, you got to figure, I get these kids for um, either two or uh, 150 minutes a week for 14 weeks consistently. So I have a whole heck of a lot more time to introduce um, philosophical concepts than I did when I was teaching drop-in classes in the studio. Yeah, valid. that's true, <laughs> yeah. that's true. So anyway, that's my job, that's my job. I teach that in the fall term, in the spring term. I teach, it's all beginning yoga, except for one section of intermediate yoga in the spring. And, um, but you had the program. I mean, it's your curriculum. Yes. Yes. It's my curriculum. And, um, I, um, took over our skip rector, started that program some 30 years ago and, and actually was the first yoga teacher that a lot of yoga teachers in Charleston had for yoga when they were in college at CFC. Um, and he and I spoke the same language, but, but, um, execute, executed things differently. And I taught alongside him a, a singular section for several years before he retired. And I um, took over the program. I mean, there's no sort of like head of yoga programming at the College of Charleston. That's not a job. Right. I, I'm an right. adjunct faculty member. Right. Um, but but how, long, how long have you been teaching yoga? Oh, um, 
I, uh, oh, 17 years. Yeah. So 17 years teaching yoga. And then before that you went to college and studied at university. You studied teaching, but what was it? Was it art? I studied, um, I did not study teaching until grad school. Oh, My grad school. undergraduate school did not have a teaching program because it had been all male until like six or seven years before I got there. Right. So they have a teaching program now, but they didn't at the time. Um, and so I majored in art and also journalism. And then I went to graduate school right. for at, at Teachers in, College. In New York. In New York. It, it's Teachers College is the the graduate school of education for Columbia. So this is important and I, it's important. And I, I like underlined this when I was thinking about interviewing you. Yeah. It, it very much informs who you are and who you've been as a yoga teacher and how you see yoga as a practice and how it's delivered because you spent time studying. What's that damn word? Pedagogy. Pedagogy, pedagogy, yeah. Yeah. pedagogy, and methodology. Uh, yeah. Like the yeah. method of teaching, the method of teaching. How yes. you, how you condense, yes. deliver information to different groups of people in a way where they're actually learning. Yes, yeah, and and I think even more kind of to that point. So the the so art education, and I will not get too deep into this. I swear, don't turn off the um, don't hit pause on the podcast. But um, there are different, just like any other field of anything. There are you know different viewpoints and different approaches. And the the style of art education that I was um, sort of immersed in at TC is based on this idea that that the whatever medium you are offering your students, whether it's paint or collage or clay or um, plaster, whatever it might be, that you are introducing sort of a technique or a skill with that medium that allows the, the, the practitioner or the student to make meaning and deliver meaning through the medium, right? So it's a very, very processed-based um, uh teaching style. And, um, and so when I, and, and that really did and does inform so much of what I do. And so that, that piece of it, um, has always been really important to me. So when I practiced yoga for the first time, because I'd studied dance, so the movement piece of it was familiar to me, but what I loved about, about when I started practicing yoga was the sense that the, the, the sort of the, the, the shapes, were like the medium for the meaning making. So I see yoga practice, asana practice as creative process. Creative process. Yes, exactly. And, and that is what, that's where that comes from. And you know, it was always written, I mean, for years, so much has changed in the last 10 to 15 years. Definitely yeah. so much. I mean, so much had changed though, if you would ask someone who studied yoga in the seventies to the nineties, the late nineties, when we really got into it early two thousands, yeah. um, a lot had changed <laughs> then too, but now the speed and delivery and popularity of yoga via social media has really, uh, it has really diverged into something other than and not that I want to return to the way things were, but it has diverged into something that's like not even what we're talking about anymore. It's like not even right, part of the conversation. Right, right, right. Do you remember it used to, everywhere you'd see yoga written, it would say the art and science of yeah. yoga. Yeah, the yeah, art yeah. and science of yoga. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, does anyone say it like that anymore? The art no, and science definitely not. of yoga. No. No, not at all. No. Well, and it's the, the media piece of it is what, you know, to, to speak to the burnout component of our title. Oh yeah, burnout. Right. The the 
the the it's something that I always struggled with, um, especially as the, the sort of media component of of uh, teaching became more and more prevalent. Because as a as a trained teacher, um, as somebody who is um, like that's that's where my experience is, and that's where I've always worked is in the education field. Um, the teacher is not the focus. Um, the teacher sort of disappears into the background and allows the student to have the experience. And the, the student shouldn't see that the learning is, is sort of about the teacher. The, the student should feel that the teacher is just a, kind of holding the mirror up and allowing the student to see themselves. So that was something I always, um, I, yeah, the, 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 I think the, the background that I have in, in teaching and the education I received has um, both, I don't know, in some ways informed and destroyed my, <laughs> my love of the, my love of, uh, teaching yoga for sure. <sighs> so I was going to ask you about that, um, that burnout thing, you know, we both, yeah. when we were working on the title for this, yes, we, <laughs> we went through a lot of names and laughed a lot, but yoga burnout, we both were like, yes, yeah, yeah, that's the one, that's the one, um, and some of that's because of how long we've been doing it. And, uh, and some of that's because that's what we spend a lot of our time talking about in private right. is how tired right. we've become. Right. Uh, because it feels like maybe we're pushing against this sort of monolith of modern yoga that is not what we're interested in and or where we think maybe the important size. I don't know. But are you, are you still passionate about teaching yoga or? Yeah. I mean, I am. I, I also think that I've always been, yes, I, I'm still passionate about teaching yoga. It's also my job. And, you know, it was one of the things that I always struggled with when I managed yoga teachers was that like, there are going to be some days you show up to, to do your job and you're not, you know, super passionate. And that doesn't mean that you should like, you know, follow the next shiny object to the next thing. I mean, true. There are, <laughs> there is, there is an importance in just doing the work the day in and day out, you know, the daily work. Um, with my current job, um, there is a lot of admin, you know, I'm communicating with, especially right now with, with us being, you know, hybrid model and some virtual and, and this is new for the students and new for the administration and new for the teachers. And so there's a lot of admin. And, and so there are days that are heavy admin that, that I'm not super passionate about that aspect. But ultimately, the te when I'm in the teaching, teaching part of it, I would say I'm still I would say I'm still passionate about it. But I definitely had reached a point when I was teaching in the public arena yeah. arena that I was not, I mean, I, I never lost my passion for actual teaching, but there, so there's a, therein lies the rub. Right, right, right. Okay. Be, having the opportunity right. and the students that are interested in, right. Like having the space that provides a container where you can teach in depth over a period of time, right. having students that are interested in going down this rabbit hole for themselves and in tandem with you, like that's harder and in some ways harder to come by. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I feel very fortunate in that even up until the time that um, 
so background, I guess I had, I owned a studio briefly and, um, and right. I mean, we really had had a group of students and I, I, I hesitate to think of them as a group because they were really, you know, a very loose collection of individuals who turned up at the same place. Right. But um, we, we had some really amazing students uh, that, that I was so grateful to know and so grateful to have the opportunity to practice with and to, and, and to, to teach. Um, and so I, you know, it, it's not that I, it's not that I uh, didn't feel that I had students who were getting it. Um, but I, uh, I just, we, we had to, the, the blessing and the curse is that we had to move out of the space that we were in and it gave me an opportunity to cut and run. And I, and I ultimately felt like I had done all that I cared to do in the yoga industry at that point. Right. Yeah. So that would, I would say that constitutes Burnout. Yeah, that's a very clear. Yeah, I mean, example of burnout. And in general, right now, yeah, I mean, for someone who listens to this six months from now, maybe the world will be a really different landscape. But we are in what month eight or month nine Nine. of of you know a pandemic of some sort, and uh, we are all experiencing different kinds of intense burnout right now. Anyways, sure, 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 yeah. Um, Also, middle age. When yeah. you face middle age, there's a, um, I mean, for me personally, I just feel like adulthood sometimes is a real kick in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, not safe I, for work. Um, um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I definitely, so that would be the other role, I guess, is that I am live in a big, loud house with, Children and children and and a partner and and dogs and, uh, and our, you know, that both, so my two children and his one child that are our collective children, but they each go to different households at different times and on a different schedule. And, you know, it's, it's a lot, um, energetically in the, um, the, uh, I think from a teaching perspective, it was easier when my children were younger and I, you know, I was teaching seven days a week and, you know, they, you know, come with me and sit in the front room and turn on a movie or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, they were sort of like, you know, they were fully formed humans, but they were also like a little more like little chess appendages. pieces. Like I little just appendages you brought with you. Yeah. I could bring This them. is my detachable tail. Yeah. And so, yeah, they were, you know, it was a little bit, now that they're, you know, older and, and they have kind of, you know, they have a lot going on. They just have a lot going on. And, and I, um, I found, I've, you know, one of the things that is any creative process is going to, to pull a lot of energy. Um, and, uh, and for me as a teacher, I'm wholly invested in sort of walking into a space, kind of sensing the energy in the room, looking at the individual bodies, trying to respond as, as authentically and, and appropriately, as appropriately, and as 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 uh, as as deliberately as I can, it requires an incredible amount of, of focus. And um, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't do what I was doing then. Now, I mean, the 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 thing uh, 
with the college, you know, it's truly a beginning yoga class. I'm keeping everything because I'm, these are not clients. These are students who have enrolled to be students. And, you know, there is a very blurred line in the public sphere of like, you know, uh, you know, entertain me, knock my socks off. And also if you have, you have to work. Ah, it's like entertain me, knock my socks off, but give me exactly what I want. Don't actually challenge me in any way that's really confrontational, but challenge me in all the ways that will make right. me feel immediately like I did something important uh, to punish me for the things I did yesterday. <laughs> I can tell that you've done this more recently than I have. Oh, but yes, yeah, that's definitely, a, that's definitely so a, exhausting. so it's a, yeah, it's, it's a different, um, it's a different, uh, it's a different energetic. These, my students now are, they are students and that is a very clear role and we're going to take it, you know, and I have some that roll in that have like, Oh, I've been practicing for like four years. And I say, mm -hmm, well, we're starting at the beginning and this is a beginning yoga class and we are going to rebuild the foundation. And often they're the ones who are like, Whoa, you know, that, that they're there because it's just so hard with, with the industry being what it is people don't want to start at the beginning, you know, right. they want to start at the end <laughs> or the middle or on their hands or something, you know, like it's, right. it's harder to, it's, it's just so much harder to do. So anyway, um, what were we talking about? Yoga. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Let me, so let me, let me circle back. Circle back to your notes. Let me look at my notes. Okay. Okay. This one's just completely, uh, and now for something completely different. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I'm wondering if you have a book now, I don't mean a yoga book. I don't necessarily even mean something magical or spiritual. I yes. mean like a book from your past, one that stands out in your mind as a shift in so something important to your psyche, a shift in consciousness. It could be fiction. It could be nonfiction. I'm just curious if you have one of those. I mean, I could probably list like probably five that were really important for me early on in awakening, maybe a depth of awareness or a curiosity in different directions. Okay. Well, I will say that I love children's literature mm -hmm. so much and I saved a lot of my books as a child mm -hmm. and then reading books with my children has been like, like, yeah, I love it actually next level for me. And I, the, the book that probably like as a child made the biggest impact on me that I still love is Harold and the Purple Crayon. Do you know that one? I feel like I know it, but I don't remember it. Give me, a, give me the, he's a little, he's like kind of a little guy with like, he's sort of Charlie Brown-esque and that he has like no hair except for like a little squiggle or something. And he has like this a, a la Caillou. He sees this moon out, oh, don't, don't. It's like he who shall not be named. Okay, sorry. The, the anyway, um, that no one listening to this knows who Caillou is, by the way. Don't I'm Google sure. it. Don't Google, Google it, you'll regret it. it. So um, he goes out his window, like he sees the moon out his window and he basically wants to get like get in that general direction. And so he picks up a purple crayon and he basically draws his way through an entire adventure and circles back to his bedroom. Huh. And so I loved that as a kid. And um, the hero's journey. A little bit of the hero's journey. Yeah. And the idea that he, because I was a very, very, very like sort of shy, um, follow the rules kind of a kid. And so the thought that this kid could just like pick up a crayon and like go out his window was like, oh, mind blown. Um, I don't think it shifted how I interacted with the world, but it may be lit, you know, that book, like I still love Harold and Pearl Crayon. Um, I, so I will say, and it's super um, dorky and, but I, when we read The Little Prince in French when I was mm -hmm. in high school mm -hmm. and then I read it in English, mm -hmm. 
because I needed to like digest a little mm -hmm. more, not like one word at a time. Um, and I really, really loved The Little Prince. And I went back and read it to Ren a couple of years ago to my daughter and like wept through the whole end. I, I do feel like that book really is one that like hit me at the right time. And then, I mean, I, it's, I, even though it's. Like, you, wait, well, it's not, like the, if I have to think back on the one thing I really took away from that story more than anything else. It would be that what makes someone or something or anything in our lives really, really special isn't their distinct form, uh, but who they are through relationship, through knowing. Oh, interesting. So it's all because it's all about the little prince and his rose, right? And he's worried about the sheep eating the rose. And so maybe you associate more with the main character, but I always associate it specifically with the little prince and how he meets all those other roses, right? And he's like, well, they're exactly like my rose, but they're not my rose because my rose is specific to me. Do you know what character I resonated with? The fox? Yes. How did you know that? <laughs> I don't know. That's the one line that like one runs the, the risk of weeping a little if one lets oneself be tamed. Yeah. That's how it translated from the French. I don't know. But like that, that realization that if you putting yourself in relationship with other people puts you in a position of feeling and as a kid that felt really deeply but didn't feel like i should be allowed to feel really deeply it was like uh, you know i mean it, it the, the fox the, i mean the fox plays such a little role in the whole story oh, but so pivotal but a very pivotal role yes yeah. yes very pivotal role so yes the little, and then the, the book that i still i just duct taped about together um the other day because the regular tape wasn't holding it is Stas energy. Like I just, uh, I just even, and I'm not a super woo woo person. I feel like as far as like yoga people go, I, I'm pretty like grounded. What, what is the shape that I'm making now? Like uh, brick uh, house. Square. <laughs> yeah. Big square <laughs> big pointing square down, down into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I just, that one was that one and still is, I feel like he kind of like, lay some shit out there pretty well can, i mean can we just establish right off the bat that yes uh, like what are the four taxonomies okay i learned these taxonomies in rolfing but they i they become the way that i understand yoga as well from a modern oh, yeah, yeah. yoga perspective what yeah. are they like so you've got the structure yeah you're dealing with structure so like bone structure yeah function yeah. how you move through space yep and coordination yep and then energetics yep so we're going to acknowledge that prana chi energy man it exists it exists Okay. Das energy. Das energy. And then the last one, and not the least of which, and maybe the thing that ties it all together in the most poignant way for me is what's called psychobiology. In oh, other words, yeah. how the physical and the psychological are actually one. Yeah. Yeah. So basically I think, you know, what I, I tend to be more naturally kind of rational and grounded and structural and these are the dividing you know these are the boundaries and and um so i think that i have been moved by or struck by or changed by texts that have sort of pushed me out of that sort of kind of like stagnation around that sort of natural you used to talk i remember you in a class one day and i was like oh my god kelly but like talking about how i was you were like a up here, like oh, yeah. floaty, and I'm like a dinosaur dragging my tail. G 
So the you know, that is that's from <laughs> yes, that's from Rolfing too. It's okay. from Rolf Movement. It's called G and G Prime. That's right. And that's so right. they so like somebody I can't remember who divided human moving moving bodies into two sort of general expressions, and yes. they were the G's or the grounds were people who um, got their resource and strength from the ground. They did it casually without having to think about it. It was in, intuitive. It was inherent. Yeah. The ground was their reference point, but they didn't have to think about it. Yep. Um, and so they actually, they're people who build from the ground up very naturally. Yes. And then, and move from the ground up very naturally. So it was always compared like Gene, Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. Gene Kelly is a ground. If you watch him and Fred Astaire dancing together, you'll see Gene Kelly, he feels heavy. And when he jumps, there's all this power and he goes from the ground up. But when you watch Fred Astaire dance, it looks like He's floating. Right. He never really references the ground very much at all. Yeah. Um, so he's a top down. Yeah. You are a, like a bottom up. Correct. And you're. And I'm more of a top, top down. down. Yeah. But everything has led me from starting way up here, back down to the ground. Yeah. And so I'm like Harold. I go out the window and I come back to the. <laughs> right. 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 Back, right. Back. And that really, that really is like another, another glorious conversation to have about, kind of meeting in the middle. Okay, last question. Last question. Two parts. Two parts. Uh, number one. Actually, I'll tell you both. So a time in your past, early on in your yoga practice, that you had a moment of clarity, or let, maybe we say what drew you into the practice? What kept you coming back to it? That's that's question part one. Question part two is what is still reverberating in your life right now that's meaningful from your yoga practice? And I will take that answer off the air. Just go, go. <laughs> so I feel like uh, the 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 movement part of yoga when I first practiced was familiar to me because of dance, and a lot of the shapes are familiar. And before you start, b- before you really get into the nitty gritty, you are kind of working with the patterns that you already have. But um, I was in a class, probably two or three classes in. Um, and we did camel pose. And I was like, well, this sucks. It sucked. It absolutely, like, I've really been enjoying this yoga thing. And I was like, well, I don't like this pose at all. I would like to not do it anymore. And I was in this place of, like, but she's telling me I have to do it. And, like, my I, my head and my breath and everything got all, you know, like, whack a duty. And I came out of it and, you know, was sort of camels usually towards the end. And um, and we left and my friend and I that had gone talked about it. It was a great class. And I was like, yeah, right up until that like, camel thing. And before I even came to the next class, I thought, like, I don't know if I want to go back because of the camel thing. It was really unpleasant. And, of course, we did the camel thing. Of course, I went back. And, of course, we did the camel thing. And I started to, like, you know, I kind of started to realize and I'm sure it was something that was said in the class and I'm sure that there were other people who were struggling with more it was that was the first place that I met with my own sense of struggle and my own this sort of resistance and it felt like a resistance that wasn't just physical it felt like a full full total huge resistance with every fiber of my being and so I think you know it, I was learning with that pose and in that experience, I started to learn how I needed, how I could use the tools that this instructor was talking about to actually 
make those circumstances feel manageable to sort of embrace the difficulty and to embrace the fact that I kind of met with this resistance. I knew that it wasn't the pose itself that was a problem. It was my reaction to the pose that was the problem. And so I think when I look at how I practice yoga today and what part of yoga today is still the most relevant to my day-to-day life and the part of the practice that is still the most challenging and but also the most rewarding is the ability to sort of notice that sense of of resistance and to in that moment you know sort of question my own attachments my own ideas about what's happening my own ideas about who i am and how i am in that moment and to really um utilize what i've learned and it doesn't make those moments it doesn't make those moments of resistance go away it doesn't mean that i'm not going to find those moments of resistance um but because i don't want to live that life i don't want to just remove myself from everything challenging or from you know and live on a mountaintop somewhere i want to live this life this sort of nitty-gritty life with people that i love who are also the people who drive me the most crazy and you know and uh and really and really you know do the work of being human, I guess. And so that's, I think that's for me, the piece from back then that connects to the day-to-day practice. So it's pattern recognition. Pattern recognition, yeah, for sure. And then pattern disruption. Yes, being willing not to even, because even the yoga, even the yoga practice can become an attachment and a and a thing that you hide behind and a thing that you cling to and a thing that you make excuses around. Yeah. 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 I mean, anything that is leads you towards liberation, can also get in your damn way. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, I guess that was the Yoga Burnout Podcast, episode one, part one. Fiend. Join us next time for episode one, part two, new podcast, who dis, where I have the great pleasure of asking questions to my dear friend Kelly G. Moore. It's me. It's her. Okay. Bye. Bye.